You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. It's so good um, to be with all of you this morning. I am excited, as always, um, to worship with you and to pray with you and to open God's Word with you. It's like Christmas every week, and that's a good thing. Um, Before we get started and move on uh, with Galatians and look at um, chapter 1, verses 11 to 24, I just want to back up Jeanette um, in saying, you got to sign up uh, for Trunk or Treat. Trunk or Treat is fantastic. It's such a cool ministry. It's so cool every single year to see 500, 600 people um, come through these doors that don't know the Lord and get a chance to be impacted by the gospel, to be impacted by people who, we have people every single year who say, why in the world would you do this? Why would you pour so much time and money into doing something that is free? Um, And we get the chance to tell them about the transforming power of the gospel. Also, as uh, you pray for Trunk or Treat, as you consider signing up and what you're going to do, um, also, just remember that in addition to sharing God's love with them practically through our interactions, um, the church table is always at the very end, and um, the church table gives out the best candy. It gives out the big chocolate bars, uh, so everyone likes the church, uh, and so the kids get the big chocolate bars, and then the parents, um, each of every one of them, they get a bag, and in that bag, there's a little um, gift card from Tim's, just say, hey. We love you. Have a coffee on us. Um, and there's also a Gospel of John in there. There's an invitation to church um, and some of the other things that we have going on here. And so as you pray over um, Trunk or Treat this year, I would encourage you pray specifically over those bags, right? We've all been to baptisms, and there's lots of these stories, right, where people say, all of a sudden, I just picked up a Bible, right? And I just started reading, and out of that, God changed my life. And so we pray that every single year for those bags and um, but you being here the 20 tables the 19 tables that are before that that's what brings them in the door right because they're going to have people and then um, they get a chance to um, have the the gospel right in their hand and so that's a really great thing so i would encourage you sign up like jeanette said we've got it's out on the sign it says 20 homes we don't want to lie to people that's not a good look Um, so i would encourage you uh, to sign up and i also just want to say we need some new blood in this, uh, we've had lots of faithful people over the years um, step up and do a table, be a part of it. And, and if you haven't done that yet or had the chance to do it, I would really, really encourage you to do it. It's fantastic. You don't have to go crazy, um, but it's a, it's a way to just um, do something simple um, to bless your community and to share the transforming power of the gospel. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into our text this morning. God, you are so good. And we come before you and beg you desperately that you would be the center of our worship. God, I pray that people wouldn't see me up here, but they would see you, Lord. You are worthy of all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, all the worship. And so I pray that our hearts, minds, and lives would give that to you this morning and as we go in our week. I pray that you would give us um, wisdom and understanding by the power of your Holy Spirit as we study your word this morning. I pray that your word wouldn't just hit us like a brick wall um, and not change our lives, but the things that are taught 
in your word and that you're working in power. God, would they continue to transform our lives? And so we pray that you would be with us, help us, give us attention and focus, no matter what kind of a week we're coming from, that we would be able to study your word together as a body in your name. Amen. All right, so let's start by reading Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 11. Uh, This is the best part of the sermon. Uh, It's all downhill from here. Uh, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and to remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. What I am writing to you before God, I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The first thing that we pick up on as we read the text right away is Paul's trying to tell them, hey, look, the gospel is not a human gospel. What I preached to you wasn't coming from humans. It was coming from God, right? You see it very clearly right there in verse 11, right at the start. He's saying this gospel preached by me is not man's gospel. And why does he start by saying that, right? If you remember what we talked about last week when we talked about the opening to Galatians, you'll remember that one of the things we talked about was that the Judaizers, right, people who were preaching a false gospel to these Galatians were holding to circumcision and to the law as a way to be identified as God's child and to have their hope in salvation in that. And so to them, a gospel that doesn't require these things, that would have been from people. They would have said, Paul, you are adding to what God has asked us to do. And Paul's going to try to show them, no, this was straight from God. Jesus was always the center of God's word. He was always the center of the gospel. He was always the center of the law. And that's what he's going to build throughout the whole book of Galatians. So we see it quite clearly in the yellow. I didn't get this gospel from any person. In the pink, I wasn't taught this gospel by anybody else. Red, I wasn't taught it. Why? Because I received it straight from the Son of God himself. And then in the green, he says, he's telling the Judaizers, he says, I stood where you are standing. I gave my entire life to your cause. I used all the arguments that you are using now. I was more zealous than any of you, and yet Christ changed everything. That's what he wants to tell them. And then he moves on in verse 15, and he tells people this. Paul tells people that God, in fact, chose him before he was born to preach the gospel. 
He's saying this gospel that I preach to you, the gospel that he's begging them to stand firmly on, God had prepared an eternity past for them to hear. He's telling them the gospel that you're waffling on right now, it was prepared for you before the foundation of the world by the sovereign God of the universe. Why in the world are you waffling? Does that not blow your mind? And this should blow your mind and cause you to stand firm on the truth. He told a very similar thing to the Ephesian church, didn't he? And in fact, he goes into more detail. So let's look at it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which was with he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him, regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel, isn't it? Right? Is this not such good news? What's up there? Amen? Amen. And I want to show you the anatomy of the gospel. We don't have time to study everything in here. This could be a sermon series. But I want to show you a couple things. The first is this. The green up there denotes God. Look at God throughout the gospel. Who's the agent of the gospel? Who did the work of the gospel? In who is the gospel found? What does it say? It says over and over again. In him, in him, in him, in him. And what does it say? His will, his will, his will. What do, who do we see in there? God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Who's the agent of the gospel? It's God. It's God that does the work. It's him, not us. And what kind of work is he doing? He's doing sovereign work. Look there in the pink. Look at all the places where it shows the sovereign work of God in the gospel. Right? His sovereign work, choosing Christians before the foundation of the world. Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestines us according to the good pleasure of his will. According to the good pleasure which he set forth in him. Having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will. God is the agent of the gospel. He's the one that does the work, and he did great sovereign work. And then this is the yellow. What do we 
undeservedly receive, right? Because we know what we should have received, right? We deserved death. We deserve everlasting life in hell. That's what I deserve, away from the presence of God. And instead, yet in God's goodness, instead we receive this, the yellow. Look at all the things that we receive. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing that we would be holy and blameless before God when we don't deserve it. He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. That's crazy. Which he favored us in the beloved. We are redeemed through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace, which God wants to lavish. The God of the universe wants to lavish things on you. He made known to us, the God of the universe made known to us, the mystery of his will. And we've also obtained an inheritance, right? The gospel of our salvation. Having believed you were also sealed in him with the Holy Spirit, that we would have God come and live in us. The first installment of our inheritance, and don't miss this, in regard to the redemption of what? Of God's own possession. Is that not crazy? Does that not blow your mind? Does that not make you say, wow, this is what God would give me when I didn't deserve any of it? Why did he do it? What was the purpose in his salvation? What was his purpose in giving all these things? To the praise of his glory. This is why he did these things. So put it all together. What do you have? We have mind-blowing power and sovereignty. We have heart-changing love. We have soul-changing salvation that the all-powerful God of the universe would set all of this in motion before the foundation of the world with the foreknowledge that he would create you and that you would be born into this world sinful and rebellious, hating God, rebelling against him, hurting him, and yet he set these things in motion before time itself to the praise of his glory. And for you, that should give you goosebumps. I got goosebumps right now, considering what God has done for me, what God has done for us. This is a gospel worth standing in awe of. It's a gospel worth standing on. If you keep looking at verse 15 through 17, I want to show you a few more things. In verses 15 through 17, the Galatians may or may not have known what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church but they certainly knew the book of Jeremiah. And so I want you to look again at this section. Look what Paul writes. Hopefully your Bible's open. You can see um, chapter 1, 15 through 17. And then we're going to look at it in comparison to Jeremiah's calling. So you stay in Galatians, and I'm going to put Jeremiah's calling on the screen. So look at Galatians, and now look at this. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. This is God talking here in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. And he, this is part of his call on Jeremiah's life. And God says this to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. What's Paul doing here? Right? Do you see what he's doing here? He's likening his calling that God gave him to the calling of that of Jeremiah, someone that they would have known and revered as a prophet of God. The wording's not exact, but it's very, very similar, both in form and in concept. Look at what they do here. They both 
do the same things. They both call on the sovereignty of God, right? We see that clearly. And then they both note a special calling by God before they were born. And then they note a third thing. What's the job that God gave them in that calling that he set apart for them before the foundation of the world, before they were born? To declare God's truth to the nations. In alluding to Jeremiah, he alludes to one other thing. If you know the book of Jeremiah, you know that neither of them wanted to be God's mouthpiece. Paul didn't want to be God's mouthpiece. Jeremiah didn't want to be God's mouthpiece. If you look at Jeremiah 1, it says, um, Jeremiah had all these excuses. He said, I'm too young. And God said, no, you're not. He said, I don't know how to speak. God said, I'll give you the words. He said, I'm afraid. God said, I'll give you the strength. He didn't want to be God's mouthpiece, and yet God chose him. What about Paul, right? What's Paul doing in his life before he's saved? Actively fighting against God, just actively trying to destroy him and his church. Things that he believed were man-made creations until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul is trying to show them, just as Jeremiah was called by God as a prophet to the nations before the foundation of the world, God ordained me before the foundations of the world to bring the gospel, the true gospel, the gospel that I taught to you, to you. So stand firm. Stand firm in that gospel. A couple of other things that we learned here in the text he says, just, he just keeps hammering. He's like, in case you didn't believe me that I didn't get this from God, I didn't immediately consult with anyone, right? I didn't learn this gospel from the apostles themselves. I wasn't even around them. I wasn't in Jerusalem. I went off to Arabia and Damascus on vacation. No, he didn't go on vacation, um, but that's where he was. Um, he's like, I'm not even close because so the, the Judaizers have said, no, you just learned this from somebody else. You just learned this from the same people. And he said, no, I'm not even close to them. The gospel that I preached is not a human gospel. Okay, two more things from verses 15 through 17 before we move on. In the middle of hammering home the fact that the gospel was preached to them from God, he also reminds them of what sets the gospel apart from the law. And the first thing is grace. See it right there? And as Christians, I want to remind you of God's grace poured out on us as Christians. Because we so often struggle to understand how God can perfectly embody all these concepts that we learn about and pray about and sing about, can't we? We struggle with that. And I think it's because we have no human experience of this concept, right? Your Christian parents will never show you that perfectly how every, all these perfect attributes fit together. We don't even show one attribute perfectly. Newsflash, your Christian spouse will never show you this perfectly. Your Christian kids will never show you this perfectly. Your Christian friends will never show you this perfectly. Your Christian pastor will definitely fail and never show you this perfectly. And I think the one that resonates deepest in our souls, because we know it to be true, is that we know that we ourselves have never come close to living this perfectly. And so we can struggle with grace. And we can easily swing from picturing God as just a chill dad who's easygoing and he loves us. And he's not really angry at our sin. 
We can swing to seeing a God who's high above us and always angry with us, always just waiting for us to mess up and to punish us. And it's true. God is love. And it's true that God is full of wrath and justice, but despite the fact that he is king of the universe, enrobed in unapproachable light, unapproachable splendor and glory, there is no one with more grace. And he calls us to come to him. There's no one more accessible than God your Father. There is no one you would rather go to when you've sinned. There's no one better to come to in confession to. And so I would beg you, those of you who are feeling far from God, I would beg you from the depths of my soul, run to him. Run hard right now. Run as hard as you can. Those of you holding on to bitterness, those of you holding on to addictions, those of you hiding sin that's been eating at you for a week or for 10 years, run to the God of grace who loves you and forgives you, who holds you close and rejoices over you as his child, not because you deserve it, not because of what you've done or not done, but because of who he is. And so Paul reminds them of this grace and he points them back to Jesus. Remember this contention. Remember what I told you last week? I wasn't kidding when I said we're going to keep coming back to the overview of Galatians. Remember what was Paul's contention with them? What does he tell them? One of the things he was trying to tell them is that the cross of Christ was the cataclysmic, decisive event they were looking for, right? The decisive intervention of God to move them from the age of sin into the age of salvation. And so he once again reminds them that he points them back to the Son and he points them to his grace and he says, that was the moment you were looking for and you missed it. If we move on to verses 18 through 24, these are really summed up nicely by Douglas J. Moo. He says this, rather Paul concentrates on his relationship or lack thereof with the distant churches in Judea. The point is clear enough. During all of these years, Paul felt no need to stay in Jerusalem and learn about the gospel. He pursued a ministry in other regions for which, in fact, Christians in Judea gave glory to God. Right? He's just telling the Galatians over and over again, I didn't get this gospel from people. I didn't get this gospel from people. I received it from God himself. He wants them to know the transforming power of the gospel. Right? And so what we see clearly over our whole text is the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, right, is showing the Galatians the gospel you received is the true gospel. He just keeps hammering it, right? He says, this gospel is from God, it's not from humans. And he gives them all kinds of reasons, doesn't he? We saw lots of them, right? Many of them are dealing with logic in the mind, right? He says, look, I didn't talk to this person. I didn't learn from this person. Look at the map. I wasn't even close to the people that you said that I learned it from. That's not who I got the gospel from. But perhaps the one that he hopes resonates the greatest not with their minds, but with their hearts, is the story of how God changed his life. If you flip back to verse 11 and 12 there, you see it right there in the start. He tells them very clearly, but I received the gospel through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? He reminds them of the story that they would have all known about his conversion. Right? And you can read about this in Acts chapter 9. Here's the short version. Right? So we got Paul. He's breathing out threats and murder 
Um, so he gets letters from the high priest so he can go round up these people of the way, right, Christians, and take them to Jerusalem to imprison them or kill them, hence the murder and the threats, right? And so as he approaches Damascus, we know what happens, right? This great light comes from heaven, shines all around him, he falls to the ground, and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, his former name, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Rise, enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. And the men who were with him heard the voice. This is interesting. You can look at this later. The men who were with him heard the voice but saw nothing. And, but just the voice was enough to leave them speechless. And so now they were speechless, but Paul, seeing the light, was actually blind. So they had to lead him into the city. And then God comes um, to a Christian named Ananias in a vision. Ananias is a dude who lives in Damascus. And he tells Ananias, go find a guy named Saul. Because he's had a vision of a dude named Ananias, a.k.a. you, um, who will come and lay hands on him so he can regain his sight. Ananias said, say what now? You're just messing with me, right? Did your kids take your phone and start texting me, right? This guy was on his way to kill us, and you want me to go to him? You must be crazy. But God told them, no, I'm not crazy. I've chosen this man both to preach the gospel and to suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias did what God said. There's a whole sermon just in that. Paul received his sight, and immediately he is baptized. And then he goes and starts teaching people right away. Read it. He goes and starts teaching people right away about Jesus. See, this is what Paul wants to remind the Galatians of. This is what he wants to show them. He said, you all knew my former life, right? I believed what the Judaizers believed and what they're trying to teach you. I was more zealous than any of them. But God broke into my life when I was a zealous Jew through an apocalyptic, decisive event. And God moved me from the old age of sin and moved me into the new age of salvation by his grace. Of all the people who rebelled against God, I was the worst. I hated him. I thought his gospel was from people and I tried to destroy his people. I didn't deserve his grace, but God in his mercy and his grace miraculously broke into my life and saved me. Paul's trying to say, hey, look, my life is the proof that the gospel that I preach to you with cross, cr the cross of Christ at the center, that's the real gospel. It's the gospel of grace. And for some of you in this room, this is what God wants to do for you. You may believe that the things that you have done in your past or the things that you're doing right now that people may or may not know about make you too far gone for God, that God wouldn't accept you or love you or forgive you. But that's a bold-faced lie. It's not true. Paul literally hated God and tried to destroy him. And God saved him, not because Paul wanted to, but because God did. And he used him. And he wants to do the same thing for you. If you want to accept God's miraculous intervention, I would encourage you. Talk to a Christian that you know, and they will walk you through that process. It's simple, and it will change your life forever. 
See, because meeting Jesus face-to-face changes everything. And for Christians, I want you to indulge me for a second week in a row. And close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes and remember this. Remember what it was like when your eyes were opened for the first time by God. When he miraculously and decisively intervened in your life. In that moment where you went from not believing you need God to knowing you needed him more than anything. In that moment when you went from thinking your sin wasn't so bad to feeling the crushing weight of your rebellion against God and you were moved to the utter jubilation that your debt had been paid. That moment when you moved from feeling unwanted and unloved to knowing the love of the God of the universe who loved you so much, he died in your place. That moment when you were spiritually dead and then in an instant you were made alive in Christ. What was on your mind in that moment? What was on your heart? What did you want to do with your life in that moment? How did you respond to other people? What did this cause in your soul? And what changes went forth in your life? This is the response of the transforming power of the gospel. You can open your eyes. And now look at me. I want to ask you a similar question to the one I asked last week in case you decided to leave last week's question here. How's the gospel changing your life right now? The gospel is miraculous and countercultural. It causes the human heart and mind to do things it wouldn't naturally do, like loving people who really, really don't deserve it, forgiving people who definitely don't deserve it and who need your forgiveness over and over and over and over again, even when they hurt you sometimes worse when they hurt those that you love grace for people who don't deserve it patience for people who don't deserve it is your mark is your life marked by the transforming power of the gospel it was for the apostle paul that's why this argument is so powerful because the gospel changed everything for him it literally flipped his life upside down and i mean everything and this is what god was asking me this week so you get the pleasure of asking the same thing. Is it clear? Is it obvious in your life that the gospel is changing everything? Or do people have to squint? Are they unsure? Do they really know? And do the people who know you the most, the deepest, who are the closest to you, do they experience this the most? in you. So often we talk about that we're the the most cavalier, the most unkind to the people that are closest to you. That's awful and not biblical. We should love the people that we are closest to. They should experience that love the most because they're around you the most, right? So let's strive in the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. One more thing I just wanted you to look at, our position is also transformed because of the gospel. Look at one more thing um, in verse 16. In verse 16, Paul uses revelation language, right? He says revealed. And his most likely purpose in using this language was to denote that the revelation of God's son had transformative power in him. Did you see? It's very interesting that um, it says in. Some of your Bibles um, won't say in, but in is the most um, literal translation. Um, as I read a number of different commentaries, 
And so um, it really should say in. He was pleased to be revealed, um, was pleased to reveal his son in me. He's trying to show them that the transforming power of the gospel was transformed in him. But the fact that he focuses on God's son at the trans at the center of this transforming power is also important. An argument that Paul's going to make and he's going to build on, um, and we're going to discuss more in chapters 3 and 4, is this. He's going to try to convince the Galatians that they become or remain sons or children of Abraham, right? God's people, no longer through circumcision and through the law, but through faith in the Son of God alone. And so he's implying to the Galatians that his experience is similar to what he's trying to show them that they also experienced when they became Christians. He's trying to remind them, he's like, hey, when I came and preached the gospel to you, you experienced God's grace, and you were made to be God's people through his son, right? Not by circumcision, not by the law, through the cross of Christ alone, right? Who makes us his children, right? Just like Israel wasn't made God's people by their own power, the Galatians weren't transformed by a human power, but they were transformed by the undeserved grace of the Son of God, who called them his own, and who calls us his own Christians. And may our hearts rejoice in this truth. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.